Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So the first one is, I'm a betrayed partner in a long marriage, betrayed and abused, not physically. Disclosure was two years ago. I've seen a therapist and have a number of groups, including the old lady posse. I'll tell you more about that in a minute and others on your site that I attend regularly. I'm told I need to process the betrayals and all that's happened. My husband has a therapist in groups and is in good recovery now. I realize now that I don't really know what it means to process and I'm stuck in betrayal trauma. Can you explain what processing is? That's a great question. Thanks yeah. for asking. That's a great question. Um, uh, if I bang my arm, it's going to have this awful big purple bruise. And now I think, you know, Hey, that should heal in a couple of days. I mean, you know, it's just a bruise, but you know, maybe like me, you can have a bruise for all, especially I've gotten older, you can have a bruise for a month. And, uh, and I think it's a lot like that. You know, it's that you've been hit with this set of circumstances and, you might want to think, oh, I could just get over that or just be a couple of days or processing it is going through it a little bit at a time until it until it it doesn't disappear, but it becomes part of you and not the most uh, part of you that you're leading with the most pain. So to me, process, it means. Yeah, it's funny, I'll just say this. We have some guys at Seeking Integrity right now, and uh, I'm going to see them tomorrow. And hopefully you're watching, guys. And one of them was talking about some really horrible abuse that he had gone through. And he said, how am I going to work through this? What am I going to do about it? How am I going to? And I said, you're doing it right now by talking about it, by coming to terms with it. As you go to those groups and you, you mitigate your pain, you begin to understand you're not alone. Other people go through this. And, and, and like the 12-step program, other people are a little past it. You know, all of the external experiences like that and the internal experiences of loss and change. And there is a process. I think you process, there's that word. I think it's a natural process with a lot of support and a lot of nurturing. We get through it and we come out the other side and it hurts, but it doesn't hurt like it hurt when it was active. Um, now, just to say it, uh, that pain can get reactivated. You can find somebody is hurting you again or doing, you know, and all of a sudden you're back into something you have to process. And by the way, we're never really done processing as long as we're alive. There's always something that even if we're not thinking about it, Somewhere in there is going, oh, they look like my niece. And ah, oh, that was a really hard day. We're, we process everything all the time. It's just the bigger things that really you're asking about. And they take attention and more time than we'd like, for sure. Um, Tammy, what do you think? You look at me like, oh, well, no, I'm, I, I've been thinking because I was like, I, I, I think it's a natural process and also an intentional process. I, I think there's intentionality about you know, some of this, what I hear is you're, you know, you're, you're going to groups, you're working with a therapist. So you are being intentional I, for, for me. And I, I'll share my experience for me, um, understanding, like being able to name, you know, I, and I've shared on this before. I, I, I didn't know until a couple of years ago, and I've been in recovery a long time, but um, I did not know until a couple of years ago that I had an abandonment wound hugely beneficial to go oh that's an abandonment wound because when it gets poked like dr rob was talking about like you know you can you can feel that you know i i can process through it meaning i can go oh that's my abandonment wound and i have choices with it the getting stuck um 
uh, th that's problematic. And, and if people are telling you or you're feeling you're stuck, then then what you're doing isn't quite enough. Um, and and you know, like you're working with a therapist, that's great. You know, there are there are therapists that work directly with like body trauma, you know, and doing some body work like EMDR or somatic experience or something like that to help process through that and pick apart the layers can be helpful. Like understanding this is the current betrayal trauma. And then, you know, like Dr. Rob said, you know, there can be old stuff, you know, that's, you know, going to get poked, uh, you know, poked around, you know, now and then too. Um, but, you know, I think of it more like because a bruise, you know, heals more completely. But like if you've got a really deep wound, you're going to have a scar from it, you know, and it has to heal from the inside out. You know, bruises do, too, but it has to heal from the inside out, you know. And so, you know, you'll still see that scar and there'll be reminders of it, but it won't hurt like it did, you know, when it when it first happened. Uh, I love that you're doing the work and I hear intentionality. I love that you're here. So I mentioned, I would say more about the old lady posse. So on sex and relationship healing.com, we have a number of groups for betrayed partners and we've got them for addicts too. So, but one of the groups is called the old lady posse. They named it. And it was originally intended for people of a certain age, mostly empty nesters. I, my experience is, you know, there's, there's a variety of people in there. So if it fits your time schedule, and people have been very welcoming, but, but, you know, there's a number of those groups and you mentioned that one and, and others, you know, that you're attending, we've got, you know, we've got the um, betrayed partner work group on, you know, on seeking integrity, that may be another layer that you want to do, but I kind of wonder about doing some, some trauma body work to, to process through some of that so that you're maybe able to be more open to some of, you know, of the areas where it could be a sticking point for you. Does that make sense, Dr. Rob? Yeah, I was going to write down, that's called somatic work, S-O-M-A-T-I-C, somatic, mm -hmm. because it has to do with the body. And, um, and what Tommy means, you know, is, I don't know, for me, I carry all my attention on my shoulders. I really do. Sometimes I actually have pain all the way up my neck into my head because I carry all, you know, processing that in a physical way would be going to someone who would help me, as Tammy does regularly, really break up those knots and that pain and also make me feel supported and comforted and comfortable. And, you know, there's a whole lot that can be done with the body. And I can remember this is the strangest thing, Tammy. When I first understood this, I went to get a massage with an unattractive person that I would never have sex with. Just want to put that out there. And um, it's true. I always choose that. Um, and this woman was massaging my hand and all of a sudden I started thinking about being in high school and I started weeping. I have no idea, not my left hand. Now, if you ask me, what does that relate to? And now, and I'll say this to you, processing doesn't necessarily mean you understand what you're going through, or what it feels or what it relates to in the past. But I sure knew something was changing just because of those feelings that were coming up and the way that I, and then I got it. That's what processing in the body is like. You know, and you don't expect it. And like just other feelings, you hear a song, you don't expect it. And there it is. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to that. Also, we just had a client who his whole chest would tighten up and he would, you know, hold his chest. And, you know, we had to teach him the way to process it was to breathe through it and how to physically deal with. Oh, and by the way, this means that you're tense and you're having anxiety because he didn't understand what this meant. So there can be lots of levels to processing um, education. Um, coming to terms with what's happened, making sense of what's happened, having hope for the future, having direction. All of those things are about processing it. Plus, as Pammy said, anything that might come up from the past. 
um, which certainly we're, she's not the only one without abandonment, abandonment wound, nor are you the only person who had to say, okay, I'm in charge of my family now. So we share a few things, Tammy and I. Yeah. Well, you know, and you're, you know, talking about the body where I've had that where, you know, I, 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 I like rolfing. It's different than a massage and it's really very good for me. That said, R-O-L-F, but, um, but yeah, same thing. Like you were talking about, like I, they were working on me I don't, and all of a sudden like tears are just streaming <laughs> down my face and I knew it was getting into, you know, some old, you know, old stuff freeing it was so freeing though to be able to process that i was thinking too um you know debbie mccray did a great two um episode webinar series on grief and you know i i kind of wonder if you're you know if some of the stuck is around not grieving and there's a process for grieving and you know um she did those webinars there on the sex and relationship healing.com you can always email me tammy t-a-m-i at seekingintegrity.com and I'll point you towards those resources. But, mm-hmm. but, um, but she was very specific about here's the stages and it isn't like you do this and then you do this, you know, and then you back, it's like, you know, you do this and then you back and then, you know, it's, it's a little bit of that zigzag. Um, but, you know, but it is a process and, you know, that's, you know, how we heal some of those deeper wounds too. And, and not be um, trapped by, you know, or slaved to, you know, like, stuff happens to all of us and you know every one of the guys that ends up at treatments stuff has happened but if we don't want to be slaves to that if we want to you know have um the ability to be free of that and move forward you know we need some tools to be able to do that and and they're available so and by the way this isn't unique to the circumstance i'm gonna say this really quick someone's family member dies and they get stuck in grieving and they can't you know everything they see it reminds them they get depressed they you know, they have, they may need help working through processing their grief. And it doesn't mean, by the way, it's going to go away. You know, when you lose someone, I always have that empty place in my head where they used to go like a book or something on a shelf. But, um, but get it where it's manageable and tolerable and you're not alone. Anyway, we should go on. We got lots of questions. We do. So the next one is betrayed partner here. Discovery was spring of last year uh, and full disclosure was six months later. SA husband of 40 years is in recovery, doing 12 steps, CSAT, support group, etc. Um, last week, he was dealing with a stressful situation and his mentor asked him if he had any urges to act out. He said he's actually not tempted during stressful times. He tends to act out when things are going well. This seems to be the opposite about what I've read about typical sex addict. Can you help me understand what this means? Thanks. Sure. Well, when things are going well, that's also a stressor. That's also stressful in some ways. I know that sounds silly, but it's not a, oh, sad and happy stressor. It's a, oh my God, this is happening. And who do I tell? And what does this mean? And, you know, it's still all of those things. And to go to a deeper level, it really isn't emotions that we act out over. It's what emotions bring up. You know, if something happens to me, like my dog passes away, I get sad. And what I need is comfort. It's the need for comfort that I never learned I should get from other people. If I had a baby and I was running around the hospital and, you know, oh my God, pay attention, my little thing that I just gave birth, my wife just gave birth to, whatever. Um, I do that because uh, it's not just because I want to show off my baby. It's because I want people to validate. Oh, wow, that happened to me too. And good for you. And, you know, I want them to, if I think the boss is awful and I'm so angry, um, I want someone to come up to me and validate, say, you know what? The boss is awful. I agree. So, Really, it isn't, it's hard to explain, but it isn't really emotions that we act out over. I think emotions are a symptom. They're a sign 
that, you know, when I tell the guys you're having a feeling, it means you need somebody and not a sex worker. You need to talk to someone, you need comfort from someone, you need someone to say good for you. And that's the part that we don't get because we didn't grow up with it. And so we think, well, I better go off and make myself feel better, but you can't really do that, especially when you're a kid. So, you know, we learn about fantasy. We learn about distracting ourselves. And most of all, we don't feel like we deserve to have those needs met. For me, learning about my needs was shameful. I shouldn't have to figure that. I should already know. I shouldn't have to ask somebody. You know, men are, by the way, are already like that when we had maps. <laughs> when we had to ask directions, you know, I was always the last person. I'd be driving around the block five times. So I actually had to ask someone because of pride. And because a lot of us were shamed, you know, when I needed things as a kid, unfortunately, what I got was, I don't have time for that. Or can you talk, you know, whatever I got pushed away. I learned that well, I, there was something wrong with what I needed and it hurt, but it wasn't their fault. When you're a little kid, it's always your fault. So I was like, what's wrong with me is I need things. I shouldn't need things and they wouldn't let me feel bad and I wouldn't feel bad. It's not that they let me down, these big people, parent people. It's that I needed something and if I just didn't need anything. And this is addicts, needless and wantless. If I just didn't need anything, then I wouldn't hurt. That's basically what we learn. But all emotions bring up needs. You know, the need to be validated, the need to be appreciated, the need to be supported, the need to be comforted, all our emotions and their needs of other people. And if we did not early in life learn to learn that other people would supply those needs, comfort, validation, then we just walk around thinking, well, I don't need that. But we do. And we go out and we act out over those needs to shut myself up inside and to gratify for the moment. So I get a raise. I'm, I'm not going to say somebody, hey, cheer for me or, hey, Tammy, did you guess what happened to me today? I'm going to go off and find my, because what if she doesn't say good for you? What if I can't depend on trust? I can depend on my addiction. That I know will never let me down. So um, it's not typical just that we um, we'll act out when we feel bad. We also act, and every addict knows this, we act out to put icing on the cake and we act out when it's our darkest days. It doesn't matter because all of that brings up a need for connection and addicts would rather eat dirt than ask for help. There's a, a, mini, a little mini lecture in there, Tammy, but hopefully- No, and, and, I, and I agree. And, and you know, I, I said the same thing num a number of times. Good things or bad things, they're all reasons to act out. It, it, it doesn't matter. Excessive emotions, like feeling really good or feeling really bad, those those are uncomfortable too. So, so learning to numb out, you know, to, to manage feelings, is you know, is what you know addiction does for us. It just you know it smooths it all out. You know, I I often use maladaptive coping mechanisms. So this is I'm coping with you know good things happening or boredom. Like sometimes it's like oh nothing. There's no chaos in my life, so I'm going to go create chaos by you know acting out and you know causing all. I mean all of it, it makes no sense to you know any of you that aren't addicts and the rest of us are all going yep totally get it. I mean it's just it's the insanity of addiction. So I threw up a word or two. And what I said was entitlement is why we act out. I don't know if that comes across time when I type to everyone. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I try. it says to everyone. Uh-huh. No, you got so it. So imagine, sorry, if something really terrible happens to me and I'm an addict, I think I deserve to go act out. Today's a really awful day. I deserve to make myself, it's like an entitlement. When something good happens, oh, I got a raise. I deserve to go celebrate. Either way, we feel like um, we want it to be bigger than it already is. And 
you know, what we learned, by the way, is to go to 12-step meetings, to make friends, to have people, to meet those needs, who say good for you, or I'm so sorry, um, if you're in recovery. If not, you're always looking to find a way to prove how much you've earned that opportunity to act out. So um, what we got, Tammy? What's, what's up? So the next one is, I'm an essay. Please explain eroticized rage. Okay, not my favorite, or not favorite, not my best topic, to be honest with you. But um, I think the best way to say it is just what it is, which I, I sexualize of my anger. And what it means is kind of what we're talking about that, oh, I want to say this in a polite way, um, it's uh, my anger doesn't come out by yelling or screaming. My anger comes out in the way that I am sexual, in the way that I look at people. Instead of saying, oh, that person's attractive, it's like, I want something from them. We become more, our anger comes through our sexuality. And by the way, Tammy, you've heard a lot of people talk about this more than me. Tell me what your thoughts are, and I'll jump off of you. I mean, I'll jump off of your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, no, and, and you know, um, it, it, and I think that I think what you're talking about is is valid. Um, uh, but that yeah, that there's always sexualization with the rage, and it's you know, so rather than being angry or learning to handle my feelings in a way, we're going, you know, Dr. Rob, that was really, you know, that you, what you just did made me feel really a lot of anger, you know, like it, it's all contorted and twisted up. Um, and you can't be in a healthy relationship with somebody if you're acting out that now that's true with, you know, other forms of it too, but, but the rage, um, um, uh, you, you know, is it's, it's so pointed, you know, for, for many people and, and it's so destructive for, for, you know, you can't be in a relationship if, you know, that intensity is, is coming out and, you know, it can be sexually abusive, you know, as well. So, um, right. And I want to say all feelings, you know, like we were talking about before, I think eroticized rage gets more in, in more people talking about it because it has anger and it can, you know, people get hurt, but we eroticize and we just talked about it. We eroticize sadness. We eroticize celebration. We eroticize. But as Tammy said, I think eroticized rage has a more of an edge to it. And we might go things. And by the way, I want to say what it isn't. It isn't uh, S&M. It isn't that you like, you know, physical or emotional pain uh, because that's always turned you on. There are people who like that kind of sex and we don't judge them. We just make sure that it's safe and they're not acting out and they're with consensual partners and all that. But just because I might enjoy in some way experiencing pain as a part of my sex, sexual life, doesn't mean that I have eroticized rage. That is more coming out of what's going on with me right now. Um, and yeah, it, it comes up with a lot of nice words, a lot of not nice words that I don't want to say. Like, I'm furious, so I'm going to, you know, use you. I think that's a really other good way of thinking. I don't care about you. I'm going to do what I want with you. Um, we recently had that going on with a spouse of a client. And and I do want to say to you guys, um, some of you sometimes spouses feel like you just have to go along with sex with us. This came up recently um, because you, you're tired of turning us down or you feel like maybe this is our only outlet, whatever it is. And please, please don't do anything sexual that you don't feel comfortable doing and that hasn't been thoroughly discussed. I just ran into a spouse who was very unhappy with the way she was treated for a long time, but she just let it happen because she thought, well, I guess that's that's how it is in my relationship, you know, and I don't ever want you folks to betray yourselves. I don't, I this is probably off topic, but I'm so, uh, no, eroticized rage. Don't let anybody hurt you. 
uh, and I don't necessarily mean physically, I mean in the way they treat you when you're being, sex is not about being used uh, unless you want to be used. And that's a whole other thing. So Tammy, I'm talking a lot and about well, all yeah, these but, things. But, but, Can well, you help? And, and I, I think it's really important, yes, to hold your values. I don't think, um, and I hear this often too with partners, like I'm afraid to not say yes, or you know, I'm afraid to not have sex because, and I'm going to use he and she, but it's, you know, it does, that's irrelevant, but, you know, he's going to go act out if I don't have sex with him, or this is the only way I feel connected with him, but they also feel used by it. So, so I think it's really important to have a very clear boundaries of that. And it's very complicated, especially early on to figure out where your boundaries are. So I urge you to get qualified professional help, you know, not from somebody who says they can ha help you from somebody who's actually trained to help you um, to, to navigate this. This is, this is complicated stuff, you know, as you hear, you know, with these questions. So you're making sure that you have the right support and help and the right understanding. Nobody you know, when you get involved in a relationship thinks, yeah, and then about year, you know, somebody mentioned 40 years, you know, and about year, whatever, we're going to have this issue and I'm going to automatically know how to handle it. You don't, this is, this is stuff that is not, like most therapists don't know how to handle these issues. So, so, you know, it is really important to have somebody who is trained to, to help support and guide the process. So, um, how long does it take for awareness to return after sobriety from sex addiction? My SA husband's SA husband seems to have so little self-awareness during the addiction. Um, and uh, a year into his sobriety, he still seems to have little self-awareness about his habits and decision. Is this gaslighting or does it just take time for the brain to come back online? Um, well, I do think it depends. There's a lot of questions. One of the questions I have is, is this someone who's in therapy? Because I, and I do think that it's true that um, if I've been out there in a very frequent way over the years, and this is why I don't like people to disclosure without a professional, is that I might write a whole list of things I did and places I was sexual, but I'm probably not going to remember it all. I'm probably not. And, and or I'm going to say too much or whatever it is. So um, this is why we get guided help in, um, in, well, let me put it this way. I will often do a disclosure with someone. They'll write out all their stuff and then we're going to work on things in a week or two, we're going to come back to it. And I'm going to see what they forgot, what they didn't remember, the degree, because I hate to say this, it's a, it's a, it doesn't make any of you feel any better, but often uh, we don't remember half the stuff we did. you know. And, and I want to say that, like I'd say to a with a drug addict, they don't remember half what they did or the guy who spent nine hours at the casino or at the video game, we just completely disappear into what we're doing. Not, we don't, it's not that we don't remember, but you do those kinds of things where, you know, all of a sudden four hours have gone by and you don't know where it went. It's like that. And so a lot of times we don't remember so much of our behavior. So that's a little different than self-awareness. Part of self-awareness can also mean we hear this all the time. Well, okay, he or she is sober, but they're not, they don't seem to be very nice or they don't seem to be aware of what I'm feeling or they're still really shut down or, you know, and that um, again, I think in part goes back to therapy. The look, we're having to look at, and I'm not asking you all to feel bad for us, but just for us, we have a recovery forces us to look at how we've been living, who we've been, how we've treated the way people we love, how we've treated everything in our lives, including family and all that. And it's really not an easy task. It is required. And you, we don't deserve you to say good for you for doing it because we've hurt you, but it is a big process. And so to me, a year in sobriety is just beginning to wake up 
By the way, we teach a course. I will promote a course called Out of the Doghouse, a, a relationship-saving guide for men caught cheating. And it's, it's so typical in my experience. And by the way, for the ladies, it's not just male sex addicts. It's all men, in my experience. They don't understand betrayal trauma. They just don't get it because we don't have it in the same way that you do. It is a different experience for men. Do we feel betrayed? Yes. Is it traumatic? Yes. But it's different than yours. And so we think of you like us, which is, you know, in a month or two. And, you know, if you're really nice to me, whatever, it's going to get better. We expect you to get better so much faster than you actually are ready to. Um, and that's one of the reasons I, I wrote Doghouse is because I don't think a lot of the men that I work with or have ever worked with have the awareness to say, oh, this is how I'm going to make them understand uh, how, that, I, that I know I hurt them. This is going to help me understand how my behaviors affected the family. Um, I think that kind of long-term self-awareness, um, it takes a while. A year is not necessarily left enough time. And sorry, I'm going to go on and on. When you say self-awareness about his habits and decisions, you know, I, I would be very clear. You know, I'm curious about these habits, I would say. And why do you still do them when you're, you know, I think these are things you have to discuss and talk about. Um, sometimes partners will say, well, I don't want to get into all that because I want them to be sober. And if we get into that upsetting stuff, you have to get into that difficult stuff. I don't care what you're bringing up. It doesn't mean we're going to act out. That's, for, that's up to us. So I don't know what's gaslighting. Gaslighting is deliberately deliberately trying to lead you in the other direction so you you know it's like look over here when what's really happening is or no you didn't say that when you really did it's it's literally driving you crazy by not validating your reality and your reality is the right one we just want to kind of trick you and point you the other way that's gaslighting self-awareness has to do more with how i treat people how i treat others how i think about life how i think about emotions how I see myself in relationships to different situations. It's a much broader kind of question. So anyway, Tim, we could talk about this all night. There's so much right We could, there. and yeah, and I, his brain is not gonna automatically come online. Like it takes the work to, you know, to reconnect the, the right wire, so to speak. So, um, so what I don't hear, I hear that he's abstinent, you know, I, I don't hear, and he's doing all of these things it just stopping the behavior is abstinence changing our lives is the recovery work and it's you know it's daily what's he doing on a daily basis and not just reading a book i you know books are great dr rob writes a number of them but you know an addict will read something and if they're not engaged in uh discussion with another person they'll read it with a slant that is maybe not intended or not the most useful. So that's why, you know, going to, you know, we've got lots of groups for guys on, on uh, the sex and relationship healing.com site, the, you know, sex addiction 101, if he hasn't already done that, man, that's, you know, that's a primer for, you know, getting some help, but the out of the doghouse work group, I mean, all of those are helpful. And when you get through those, then, you know, the attachment wounds and the inner child and why men struggle to love all of those. So we've got, you know, start here and then keep, you know, going deeper to, to make those connections. But, you know, it, you, you get out of it, what you put into it. And, you know, however long, however old he is, he's had that many decades of doing things one way. You know, Dr. Rob talked about it a bit ago. It's like, as a child, we learned to do, we learned that our world wasn't safe and we came up with these coping mechanisms, maladaptive coping mechanisms. And now after 12 months, you know, he's supposed to do things differently. 
I just don't know how many tools he's learned and how often he picks up the tools that he's been given to do things differently. Having conversations, I, I, I support that 100% too. Dr. Rob mentioned that, but having a discussion a couple times a week of, you know, here's what we're doing. Having a journal of these are some things I wanted, you know, to discuss. The other thing, partners go, well, he should just understand and he should know. He has zero He's zero on that scoreboard. He, he will, he, he's not your girlfriend. He's not going to just know how to comfort you and support you. You're asking him as you should to step into a completely different space, but like there's, there's nothing. Dr. Rob nailed it with the, you know, out of the doghouse, but they don't know and they can learn, but they aren't going to learn if they're just, you know, sitting in their living room and they're easy in their easy chairs, you know, so. <laughs> well, and I want to add, you know, now you can go to a meeting in your easy chair in your living room. So, but um, I'm just kidding. You know I mean? So here's the deal. Self-awareness is also a lifelong struggle. Mm-hmm. I am married, thank goodness, 22 years. And, you know, I still like discover, you know, oh, I've been saying those kinds of things for that long. I'll give you an example. This is a horrible example. And it reveals, it's me revealing myself. So please don't get mad at me later. But my husband used to be quite heavy. And when we were first dating, we were first living together. I would say, uh, I would say to him, you know, maybe you could lose a little weight or, you know, you, your clothes don't quite fit anymore or, or the worst, which is stop eating so much. And he never did. It never worked. He didn't listen. So I said, I brought this up in therapy one day and my therapist said, so this is an example of self-awareness that I went my whole life through that I never understood until I was with someone for three years okay, or five, whatever it was. And my therapist said, don't you know, do you think he likes being overweight? Do you think he feels good about it? Do you think maybe when you say that it just makes him feel worse? Well, in my family, if you wanted them to do something, you shamed them until they were so uncomfortable that they finally moved off the dime. So I'm like, of course, if you tell someone how awful they are, they're going to be better. It doesn't work that way. So self-awareness in that arena, how to be lovingly supportive with someone who is angry at themselves about something rather than trying to change it the way I want to change it. That took years and years and years for me to learn. Um, And it took a therapist to say, you know, do you think he wants that? And I thought, oh my goodness, no, that's what, that he, not what he wants. Why am I making cool words? Self-awareness, ding, I was 47, you know? So it doesn't ever stop. That process doesn't stop. And we're difficult people. We definitely are. Um, oh, one more thing. And Tammy, you may be able to say this more, a little bit more about this in terms of what we do at the treatment center. But one of the things that's really important that we do in treatment is an impact letter. And I think if your spouse is in therapy, this is a really good way for him or her to be, gain self-awareness is when you sit down and you say, this is how you're, how you're acting out. It's influenced me. This is how it's hurt me. This is how it's affected the family. This is how it's affected. You know, when we hear from you in the safe setting, the things that, that um, have happened over time that we didn't see or didn't want to see, we can gain awareness, even though it's painful. And so you tell me what, tell them what you do before a spouse, before somebody comes in for treatment, what's what their spouse hears from you about impact letters? Well, there's a whole spouse's expectation and their support and their emergency phone numbers, but also, you know, a request for a letter. So, so for spouses that don't have, you know, a supportive, you know, professional therapist, we, we help them if they want, you know, this is all 
by invitation, you know, to find those resources. So, um, but I, I was thinking too, you know, with, with your current situation with the, he has little self-awareness. I love the, the story I'm telling myself. So, so Dr. Mm-hmm. Rob, the story I'm telling myself when you da 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 is that you don't, you know, you aren't, you aren't focused on the relationship or, or whatever. No, no, it it's is, gas. You know? It's gas, but you think, no, I'm saying that because you're reading into something, right? That is probably completely innocuous, but anyway, go ahead. I interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, if I'm, and you could, you could say, you know, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm well, okay. The story I'm telling myself when you text me right before the meeting, I'm going to use this one and I hate to do, but like this, so is that, um, that you are, um, that you are unable or unwilling to show up on time. I could, I could say that to you, you know, cause you're making coffee. I think you just did. I <laughs> did, but I'm just, but it was the only okay. example. No, but I'm just saying, but you, you know, and you could say, well, my day was really busy. It, it had just nothing to do with me, but if I'm telling myself that you don't care enough about showing up for me, that's a whole different message than you going like, I just wow. making coffee. You know what I mean? So, so I'm wondering if you can use that. Wait, I want to use your that husband. You because I okay. think I can use that. So Thank what you. I want you to know uh-huh. Is that I know that you worry. This is true. We're, we're going to script this. I know that you worry if I'm not a few minutes early. So if I think I'm, this is my story, right? So I think I'm going to be late. I make sure to write you a little note saying I'm waiting for the coffee pot to be done, but I'm coming. So what you perceive as he doesn't care enough about me to be on time, I perceive as I'm really going the extra step to let her know if I'm going to be a couple of minutes late, which is a perfect example. Of- this is a really good example. I yeah. know. A mismatch. No, like, yeah, that was completely unscripted, but it was the example that came to mind. But yeah, like that is probably fairly accurate of, you know, and we have a different perception of the same situation and just having a clarity of like, oh, Oh, okay. Well, that's different than it's, it's not about me. It's not, you know, like it, it shifts things. So I'm wondering with your husband, if you can say the story I'm telling myself when, you know, when you don't under, you know, when you don't see how painful this is for me or whatever it is that you're talking about with the lack of self-awareness, if you could verbalize it in a way where it can be heard and it can be like, Oh, I didn't realize. Okay. So now that I have this awareness, then I want to see some action, you know, about it. So um, that that could be helpful. That's my thought. And I want to add to our story, which that was very good. That we did hear that is that now I'm aware of the reality, and now I know if I'm a couple of minutes late that Tammy gets upset and she worries if or she she's thinking why doesn't he care enough about this situation to be on time. Right. And I hope Tammy will think. When well, she but I'm going like, but he's let me know, like he's taken the moment to let me know. Well, now. Sort of, so right. now we right. both have this different, you know, it's a different framework. So, so it doesn't mean that go she won't be upset or I won't get upset, but we understand. She understands that I care and I'm not just trying to duck under, she, you know, and I understand that, you know, uh, she doesn't need comfort. She needs to be on time, <laughs> but it's all good because we will work through this and she'll do it perfectly. I'll do it imperfectly, you know, whatever it is. But this is the stuff of recovery. We're doing it right here. Yay, Tammy. <laughs> okay. With a lot of therapy and 12-step <laughs> know, right? Exactly. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.